folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are cruising through the book of Genesis on the docket today, the halfway point of a 50-chapter book, so chapter 25. Can you believe it? This is Abraham's death, and uh, but then the birth of Jacob and Esau, kind of a fascinating transition here in the big picture of Genesis. Isaac, you'll remember Isaac, the near sacrifice of Isaac. What happened to him? Where was he? Well... He came down the mountain somehow. We're not told of that. As far as the narrative goes, he's kind of dead. I mean, that's the thing. It's like he didn't, it was the ram that died. But as far as Moses, the narrator, um, he's dead to the narrative. Isaac is. He was sacrificed, as it were. The sonship is extended then to the servants who faithfully waited and took up their burdens that were assigned to them. As Abe goes down the mountain, then we don't hear of Isaac until this marriage that we studied last time. Isaac um, and Rebecca. Rebecca is the one that's very active there. Again, it's all about the water. She's at the well. She's giving to drink. Um, there's like, oh man, all kinds of different Hebrew verbs for drink or cause to drink or give to drink or you know that kind of thing. So everything revolves around the water. She's very active. Isaac is just mentioned at the very end. And uh, that's where we left off. And so that's kind of, I mean, the Lord preserves his church even when the ministry is a little more, I mean, not every pastor is the same. Not everybody's, what, the district president or the, you know, the dual parish and the, well, here, look at me. I'm at, you know, Concordia University and so on. Um, Called and ordained servants are not all the same. Abe's not the same as Isaac and Isaac's a lot different than Jacob and so on. But nonetheless, the Lord preserves his church. And uh, Rebecca, as it seems to me, is a very active reminder of the of the life of the church. When the church is um, vibrant by means of the Holy Spirit to live out the faith that Abe put on display. I think that's, I mean, you see a lot of that in Rebecca. Like this is an Abrahamic kind of faith right here as she lives and moves and has her being. So anyway, the Lord uh, has preserved this marriage. He's transmitting the promise to another generation. Now, in chapter 25, Abraham takes another wife whose name is Keturah, which means incense. And that is fascinating. Because I think in this first little chunk here, you know, you get the Abraham has other sons and so on. These sons, Zimron has something to do with singing and praising and... Shua is bowing down. I think what's going on here is we got we got more church stuff happening here. Um, we get more information about some of these sons, but then you'll see by verse 5, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, the beloved son. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Does it sound familiar? It's an amazing thing here. This is, I mean, so Isaac is very much this Christ figure who's given all things from his father. And yet, very next verse, to the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts. In fact, that Hebrew word has like a, it's like a liturgical gift. It's a gift that, uh, in fact, the book of Numbers even uses that word to describe the ministry itself. That this is my gift to you, multiple times there in, in the chapter of, of Numbers. 
And so it seems to me that this genealogy, I guess what's the big point about all this is that this is like the spread of the Gentile church. Abraham marries another wife whose name is Incense, and they have these these kiddos they name in very liturgical ways, praise and bow down and song and all of this. And then he gives liturgical gifts. These are not $20 bills. These are, here's the candles for the altar. Here are some vestments for the pastors, you know, a green stole and so on. Those are the gifts. And then he sends them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. So this is, this is very much, and what would they talk about? Well, Abraham told us about the promised one to come, the seed who will crush the serpent's head. This is how he catechized us. This is what worship looks like. This is how we sing and pray and so on. And that's the, I mean, just constantly in the book of Genesis is this, this spread, this ingrafting of the Gentile or the spread of the Gentile church. You just can't get very far in Genesis before you you bump into this again and again, that it's not an in-house Israel-Abraham-only project. Um, The moment that our Lord elects somebody, calls someone, it's immediately configured to spill over, as it were, into someone else. And that goes for the Christian life. Um, Here's the word in sacrament. We have that Sunday after Sunday, and yet that is faith toward thee and fervent love toward one another by which they will know you are my disciples. So, I mean, I give you this word in sacrament, and then immediately it's, these are the same means that spill over in Christian vocation, as it were, in fervent love toward one another, the strongest, most profound witness, especially when you show the cruciform love, the love that takes the shape of Christ himself, his cross, um, and we have our own to bear, and he says, follow me. So anyway, this is a, a fascinating little beginning here. And then we get the, the days and years of Abraham's life, 175, so that means 100 even, from when he was called as a spry young 75 years old, benching 350, squatting over 400. It was impressive, Abe. And uh, so he has 100 years. He's, I mean, that's kind of like in the in the Bible land of numbers, that's like a full set, complete time. Our Lord had his purposes for Abe. They were fulfilled. He breathes his last, dies in a good old age. An old man full of years was gathered to his people. I mean, that's just a, that's just a fascinating, I love the phrase, even the Hebrew word, asaf. If you've heard of the Psalms of Asaph, that's that word. Asaph is a gatherer. He, I don't know, rings the cowbell and then everybody comes to the divine service. He's he's the one that assembles people. That's what his name means. If you've you know you read the Psalms of Asaph there in the seventies in the book of Psalms, that's what he does. And that's I love the language of he was Asaphed to his people because that's what you do every Sunday. We gather, we Asaph. Um, Sunday after Sunday in the divine service. And so to say he was Asaph to his people is like, it's to say he's with the one church that lives on heaven and earth at the same time. I think it's great. And this is Isaac and and Jacob and others will be described in this way. Moses, Aaron. um, And we'll see here real soon, Ishmael too. Ishmael too. Um, so Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave. This is what we talked about in Genesis chapter 3, where Sarah is very important. How you bury is a confession of what you believe. Uh, 
And I think this is this is very ministerial too. I don't think this is just like, oh, you know, family times were tough and Isaac and Ishmael had their falling out or whatever, and Abe and Isaac might have had their falling out, you know, after that near sacrifice thing. You know, that would have been a rough morning the next day. Hey, pass the cereal, and hey, you almost killed me yesterday, and rah, 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 you know, that's kind of thing. I think there's a lot more than just family dynamic. This is also a very ministerial, the, the confession rolls on to successive generations. Isaac, of course, will be the one through whom that promise is transmitted, but that does not mean Ishmael has nothing to do with it. In fact, we'll see, again, Ishmael's gathered to his people in verse 17. Um, So after the death of Abram, God blessed Isaac, his son. Isaac settles at the well, which is just fascinating. Again, Isaac is a lot more passive, and some people have a lot of problems with that. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, Abraham, he did what he did. And yet, uh, when Isaac comes along, yeah, he might be more passive, but first things first, um, he's, I don't know, he's hes faithful. He goes along with the Abe sacrificing. There's a passive faithfulness, a faithfulness that bears with things, a faithfulness that's characterized by taking up the cross of this is how our Lord's will will be done. Go forth, my son. Okay. And then Rebecca brought to him. And then this business of being at the well. Isaac is, is content to be at the well. This Be'er Lehoi Roy, it's the, the Hebrew transliteration there. But it means the well. It's the place where the Lord gave life to Hagar and so on. This is, is he's almost getting a play out of Ishmael and um, what is it, Hagar and Ishmael's playbook. Isaac's hanging out with that well that gave life. And, of course, Rebecca herself, right? She's the one all around the well. That's the things of the Lord. This is how evangelism is done. It revolves around the well. So, I mean, you could talk about all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, mission work brings to the well, revolves around the well, the saving well of baptism. Isaac hangs out with that well. That is its own kind of witness to what the faith of Abraham is all about even though Abe is known for being much more aggressive and so on. Now, I should say real quick, too, is you just wait till chapter 26. Isaac is is going to defend these wells. He's going to fight for these wells. We're going to see something, you know, there's, he's got some fire in the belly that comes alive uh, in chapter 26. But nonetheless, there we go. Isaac settles. And then you get a generation for Ishmael, which is, is kind of fascinating, too. I mean, he was promised. He'd have a lot of descendants as well. And you get these, uh, you get these descendants. You get twelve princes. This is what was promised in chapter seventeen. So even though, again, the gospel promise of the seed to come is not transmitted through Ishmael, you get this sense of whoa, God's greater purposes of fulfilling that promised seed is, is it's going to involve Ishmael somehow. These are the years of the life of Ishmael. One thirty-seven, he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. Again, Luther makes a big deal of this. Ishmael, he says, was totally converted by the gospel. He was saved. Many Ishmaelites were saved. Um, He says the same thing about the descendants of Cain and the descendants of Esau and, you know, all these unchosen brothers. 
Um, there's a lot more, I think, just reading Luther and thinking about there's a lot more spread of that gospel in its early, early, early stages than we think. I mean, I, I, I think just a very quick read of Genesis that, well, this is just an Abe and his family deal. Not the case. God is working all in all. Um, when he elects one, when he chooses one, he immediately arranges for some way to that for that very election to to spill over, as I said. And it's just this beautiful and then what happens? You know, you read Romans nine, what happens? God elects Israel and then what? Well, they trash it, you know, and then what happens? The it's, it goes to the Gentiles and then what happens? And then Israel starts to get jealous. Hey, that was for us. Well, yeah, you guys blew it. And then, and then the Gentile, hey, don't be getting all, you know, it was for them first. And it's like this back and forth. It's like this dynamic between brothers, between Jew and Gentile, that the Lord uses uh, to bring about the confession of the one true faith when and where he pleases, through his word and sacrament, by means of the Holy Spirit. It's just an amazing, it's an amazing salvific plan. And then uh, they settled uh, over against all of his kinsmen there. I'm just going to bring you up here to the birth of Esau and Jacob. We've got to take a break here. It's probably a good time for it anyway. But this first part of 25, I mean, don't let the genealogies and things throw you. We've got this spread of the Gentile church. We have this beautiful confession of everlasting life to be in the presence gathered to his people and then to have this this notion of the gospel spreading, even when you know Ishmael not chosen in the same way that Isaac was, and yet this is what it looks like um, to be grafted into that fellowship all the same, gathered unto the under the same people that Abraham is. Um, to be noted that before. Isaac, right? We hear of this death and gathering the people of Ishmael. Again, this prioritization of Ishmael, even though we know this will be the case for Isaac as well. It's quite fascinating as the Lord works all in all for his master plan. We're going to take a quick break, but then we'll get into birth of Esau and Jacob and the birthright. Oh, man. Classic, classic. Very profound as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. 
folks, we are back with our study of Genesis chapter 25, a marvelous chapter. Abraham has been gathered to his people. Ishmael has been gathered to his people. And the Lord is working all in all, as we said. It's a fascinating transition from Isaac um, to this Jacob and Esau you're first told that um, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old. You know, this language of 40, we've probably talked about before, but just as Abraham has his allotted time, you know, this 100 years, this is, uh, I mean, he lived to 175, but again, when the promise comes to him, he's called out of darkness into the Lord's marvelous light at the age of 75. Isaac's 40 years old, and the 40, again, in the Bible, is that's also significant, for this is your allotted time, 40 years in the wilderness and 40 days for this and that. Moses on the mountain, our Lord is tempted in the wilderness, 40 days. This is like the period of the church, the period of of testing and trial that the Lord has set aside for you, and that goes for each and every individual Christian as well. Before time began, our Lord knew exactly what sorts of crosses he would use in order to conform you to the image of his only begotten son. That is the 40 that is allotted. Now, in Isaac's case, what was part of that cross? Well, we learn here Isaac prays to the Lord, verse 21, for his wife because she was barren. And this is just big in Genesis, is it not? The barren woman, Sarah, of course, this is like a replay, and we're going to have other barren women coming up. Um, you know, it just reminds you of, of, of course, I mean, why is it that the Lord loves these miraculous conceptions, right? Of course, we're thinking now Virgin Mary and all of this. This is the life of, so this will be, even as these people bear their crosses, right, Rebecca's cross is barrenness, and yet even in that barrenness is its own witness, its own testimony to the person and work of the seed who is to come, who is to be transmitted through this generation of Rebecca. And even and likewise in the Christian life, the crosses that you look at and say, This is just this is tearing me up. And I can't see anything. Is its own kind of unique witness, a witness unlike any others, to the hope that lives within, to the person work that gives life in the midst of of death, brings children out of barrenness. Um, we're going to see this even the language of the church in Isaiah is the same way. Like this is the the, the woman that hasn't born any children has born seven, and and so on. This is also the life of the church born into it by baptism, a bunch of barrenness by our own reason and strength. So this is this is also this, um, you know, kind of replay in the Bible, the barrenness. The Lord, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Isaac is praying. Okay, here's some active Isaac. <laughs> he prays to the Lord for his wife because he was barren. The Lord granted his prayer. Rebecca conceived. So you think, okay, done deal. And yet the children then struggle, verse 22, within her. And she says, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? She goes and inquires of the Lord. It's kind of interesting. Now, why didn't, okay, well, then Isaac said another prayer. 
you know, Isaac said a prayer, she conceives, but then she's got twins in there, we'll, we'll find out, and but she's the one that goes to inquire of the Lord. It's kind of a, okay, Isaac, again, he, he showed some activity there, but now she's the one that's, it's just like previous chapter, she's so, you know, she's the one watering all the camels and so on, as I've discussed, she's, you know, active and so on. This question is profound, isn't it? If uh, literally, I guess you would put it this way, the literal Hebrew reads something like, if thus, why am I this? It's kind of profound. Um, It's a question for humanity. It's a question that we have asked, have we not? If thus... Why am I this? If this pain, if this heartache, if this isolation, if this grudge, if this tragedy, if this sadness, why am I this? So she goes to inquire. Now, this I just think no matter what question it is that weighs heavily upon your soul, there's a particular place that the Lord has arranged for you to be. Sarah went to inquire of the, I'll just, I'll pray right here. Sarah, did I say Sarah? Hey, that's a Freudian slip right there. Um, A biblical Freudian, I don't know what to call that thing, but Rebecca goes, Rebecca goes somewhere, she travels somewhere to a particular location, a particular place where the Lord is present unlike he is present anywhere else, where the Lord desires to be called upon and inquired of through particular means, office of the ministry, word, sacrament, a location. She goes there. The Lord says two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you. This, by the way, Luther would say, oh, you know, this was said through a particular pastor, like Shem. Shem is still alive, Luther says. And that was surely the pastor that, you know, pronounced this oracle to her. To have two peoples, they're divided. One will be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. This is unexpected. This is the upside down ways of our Lord, this Shouldn't the firstborn, you know, get all the stuff and so on? The older will serve the younger. And then when the days come to give birth here, the first one comes out red, which is Edom, which is Edom. So when you see red, it's it's Edom. And his body uh, like a cloak of hair, and hair is Seir. Which uh, or se'ar, which from which we get se'ir. Why am I saying this se'ir? Because Edom, okay, will be a nation, and then Mount Seir is in Edom. So red and hair, the nation of red and Mount Hair. Anytime you see Seir, Mount Seir in the Bible, or Edom. That's where we're getting this stuff from, Esau. So they called his name Esau, and Esau will be associated with Edom. In the genealogy, chapter 36, you can just look at that. Esau is Edom. It'll just tell you that multiple times. Esau is Edom. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. 
So his name was called Yaakov, uh, which means to grab by the heel. Notice, first things first, one is named by appearance. Outward appearance. Looks good on the surface, whatever that is. The other is named by activity. Okay, Jacob grabbing by the heel. What does he look like? What color is if well, if one's red, well, what color is Jacob? He's grabbing by the heel. That's what you got to know. Okay, this is the difference between the kind of superficial, you know, sheep's clothing on the outside, but it's a ravenous wolf on the inside. Um, Jacob is that what? You'll know the tree by its fruits. This is the activity. Love, joy, patience, peace, uh, patience, patience. You know, there's a combination of peace and patience. It's called patience. Oh, boy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these activities. Jacob is known by the activity. Now, this one is grabbing by the heel. Kind of interesting. We'll maybe say more about that in due course. Kind of means to cheat, I guess. Isaac was 60 when this happened. So now there's 20 more years of bearing with this. Oh, my, the barrenness, right, and so on. The boys grow up. Esau is a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. I got a couple issues here. So one thing is Esau is literally a a knowing hunter. He's an expert hunter. But Jacob, I guess, I don't like this business of quiet man. It means complete. It means content. It's a word that means, yeah, quiet of soul. I'll take that. Um, He's content to be in the tent. And in Genesis, I've probably harped on this before, the ones building cities are the problem makers because they're the ones thinking this life is all there is. But the ones dwelling in tents, we'll see this again and again, Abe moves around his tent and so on. The ones that are in tents know that they're strangers here and heaven is their home. Dwelling in tents is he's content in the tent that's what that's what this means he's complete and whole and satisfied in the tent Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game okay so this is literally like the food is in his mouth <laughs> it's kind of unclear who the he, who the he is <laughs> so it's like you know Esau's coming in with the food in his mouth I wonder if that's a kind of a way to stick it to Esau I'm not quite sure it could be Isaac of course, because the food is in his mouth. <laughs> but Rebecca loved Jacob. Notice no reason is given. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Rebecca loved Jacob. End of story. Unconditional. The first Corinthians 13 love, you might say. Bears all things, hopes all things. There's not keeping score or anything else. There's just Rebecca loved Jacob. All right, so when Jacob is cooking stew... Kind of interesting, you know, right out of the gate. We're like, who's serving what here? There's so much irony here. Who's going to serve whom and all this? Um, the older is going to serve the younger, but Jacob serves up some stew to Esau. You know, this whole thing. You just got to kind of carefully think about this. Jacob's cooking stew. Esau comes in from the field. He is faint and weary, like uh, the word is used a lot for Israel in the wilderness. By the way, didn't you catch anything, Esau? I thought you were a knowing hunter. Aren't you the expert? This is the thing. You live... On the thing, you live in this plant, you live like on the things of this is all there is, just the things of this temporal world. We're going to survive by this. It's going to come up short. It will not do for you what you need it to do for you. 
This life is all there is. Well, I'll satisfy my soul in some way. No, our hearts are restless. Our souls are restless until they rest in thee. Esau says to Jacob, <laughs> let me eat some of that red stuff. Uh, he literally says the red, this red. He can't even get the word stew out. He's so, I, it drives me nuts because the some of the commentators think that, oh, it's sloppy Hebrew and all this and. No, the point is he's talking from the from the gut. His belly is speaking. He can't even think. He's not using his head. Let me eat some of that red. This red. That's so he just like points to the red. This red. Therefore his name is called Edom, which means red. Um Jacob says, "Sell me your birthright." Now that's kind of interesting. The birthright's a big deal. But Esau says, "I am about to die." Of what use is a birthright to me? Or literally, why this? What is this to me, comma, a birthright? Does it sound like his mama? If thus, why am I this? You know, what, if this is what I'm going through in life, what do I need a birthright for? I'd rather eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Jacob gives him bread. Hey, where'd this bread come from, by the way? I love the Bible. It works in this bread stuff. You know, like Jesus in John 21, he does the catch of fish, and all of a sudden he serves him bread and fish. Gets you thinking a little bit about the bread of life. Esau gives him, or Jacob gives Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate, drank, rose, and goes. Okay? Ate, drank, rose, and goes. That's kind of like golden calf incident. That's like... This world is all there is. That's like materialism. Eat, drink, rose and goes. That's all there is. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Of course, the birthright is such a huge deal. Not just because, hey, you get some more inheritance. The birthright, God's people, Israel, enjoys a heavenly birthright. Pharaoh, let my my firstborn son, Israel, go. And the epitome of that birthright is the ministry as well. I'm going to take the Levites uh, instead of all the firstborn. They're, they're my firstborn. This ministerial birthright. Both of these birthrights, the baptismal birthright, the ministerial birthright, totally by grace, through faith kind of business. And this is what's despised for the God of the belly. What looks good, I will consume. That's the problem here between Jacob and Esau. This is the problem throughout the ages. Serving the God of the belly right here, right now. Eat, drink, rose, goes. Or in all times of affliction, trial, crosses, clinging to the birthright. The heavenly birth given to us from above as our ultimate consolation in every trial, as our ultimate place of refuge in whatever need, as our ultimate comfort, our ultimate rest in any sort of restlessness. Big stuff here, Jacob and Esau, not just a one-off, very true to the times throughout uh, the life of the church in all 
places and generations. Stay tuned, everybody. That's all the time we have for this one, but we're going to tackle chapter 26 next time. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org. And clicking on our contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs>